This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, Episode 40. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hood. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Graham. Oh, hey. You feeling good, buddy? You feeling okay? Things good? Things great? I'm feeling great. It's come to my attention that I'm usually so eager to get into the show that I never ask how you're doing. I've been taking note of that, and this is the first <laughs> time you've actually ever done that in your entire life. 40 episodes in, you finally ask how I'm feeling. <laughs> but we'll please credit that to my eagerness. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. How are you, Brian? Man, you know, times are hard. I'm going through a divorce, and I'm, I'm just joking. I'm not married. Uh... I love people that like spill too much of themselves, like in situations where it doesn't make sense. And I wanted to be that guy. No, things are great. Can't complain at all. I'm really excited for a lot of the things I have coming out soon as you are as well. I'm sure you're excited to get some things launched that you're ready to do. Very true. But a lot of what Chris and I do day to day involve checklists, the least of which is this podcast. Yeah. And so we're going through our checklist that we go through every time you do this podcast. And we're always revising, always iterating. And the idea came up to do a podcast about checklists. Now, before you press pause and skip to the next episode that sounds more exciting, I cannot emphasize to you enough how exciting this episode will be and how life-changing it can be because checklists have staying power. They can fix a problem for your future, not just like, hey, you had an epiphany, uh, it was cool, then you moved on, and then you keep making the same mistakes. Checklists are incredible. One of my favorite books ever, Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. Incredible. Absolutely mind-blowing. This is something that's crucial to our podcast because if we forget one thing, we could ruin an entire episode. Case in point being, as we were talking through potential ideas for this episode, we had another thing that popped up to add to this episode checklist. So we're talking through all the things that studios need to be aware of when it comes to their sessions and making sure things run smoothly and all this stuff. And Chris brings up the conversation of hard drive space. And hard drive space is obviously an important thing for audio engineers. But then I realized that in the past, I remember running out of hard drive space during a conversation I had. Well, we had an interview actually. And Pro Tools deleted the entire take of audio because I ran out of hard drive space. Now, that's terrifying. That is terrifying to lose an entire episode of audio. But thankfully, I had a backup source going. All that to say, we added to our checklist, check hard drive space to make sure we have more than enough hard drive space to get to the episode. And so just something like that, one small thing could ruin the entire take. And that's what we're trying to bring to your mind to your workflow, to your business and your studio, what are those crucial steps that could make or break the session? And not only that, once you create this checklist, once you've created this systemized process that you don't have to think about anymore, what else can you do with that? What's the next step? So we're going to talk about all that today. But Chris, let's talk about why this matters now. Why is this such an important thing? Well, let's talk about checklists in general and specifically the book Checklist Manifesto. We've both read that. We both enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah incredible book. One of our favorite guys in the world, Tim Ferriss, who wrote 4-Hour Workweek. It's allegedly uh, one of the books he keeps next to his chair. It's like one of the few books that he keeps in arm's reach at all times. So the thing that they talk about in that book that's incredible is they talk about pre-flight checklists. You get on an airplane, there's a guy driving the airplane or a girl driving the airplane. They have to go through a checklist to make sure they get everything right because if they miss one thing... Everybody dies. Yeah, people can die. And 
So the interesting idea in the checklist manifesto is this idea of like, they take it seriously because so many people can die, but there are so many other occasions when a checklist could really, really save a lot of pain and suffering. The example he uses is pre-surgery. Up until recently, there was no such thing as a pre-surgery checklist. He pretty much invented it and now it's the standard across the globe. And it saved millions and millions and millions of lives. Yeah. The stuff that that author has worked to implement into hospitals and medical facilities all around the world, especially third world countries. Yeah. So your life might have been saved by a checklist already and you didn't know about it. That's true. It's a big deal. That is a big deal. And here's the thing. Our industry is tough. Recording bands, recording artists, making amazing music is a difficult stressful industry and a checklist can help you alleviate some of that stress so that you can major in your majors and minor in your minors and focus on making great art rather than oh crap what do i do because fill in the blank yep one of the biggest things that i think comes out of creating checklists for certain things you do in the suit we're going to talk about what things you should be creating checklists for in a second but i think one of the big benefits is creating consistency yes creating consistency in what you do because it is really easy to screw something up in the studio. It is really easy. And if you can create a checklist that you follow every single time you do certain things, you can maintain the standard that you have for the quality amongst all of the moving pieces of this really complex process that most of us deal with on a day-to-day basis. It's really easy to forget to do one major step in the process. And that can really screw things up for the project or for your for your relationship with the artist or for the quality of the project. So consistency is a big part of this. And and I think really the big thing with this is the busier you are in your business, the busier you get, the more important this is because the busier you get, the more you can start dropping the ball. So this is more and more important, the more busy you get. Amen. Yeah. So that's the thing a lot of people struggle with in our industry is they will get pretty good at their job at a certain size. You know, you've got a certain number of clients coming in you're making a certain amount of money you get pretty good at it and then you grow and all of a sudden it's this checklist thing that really messes stuff up. All of a sudden when you're really busy, when you don't have as much energy as you're used to, your IQ's dropped a little bit because you're so stressed out, all of a sudden balls start to drop and you see people who are very successful at having a sort of medium amount of projects blow it all once they, they get busy and develop a bad reputation because of inconsistency in their workflow. Yeah. So I think another big part of this, as far as the benefits of creating checklists for things that you do day to day is just the sanity it gives you. The average entrepreneur, the average business owner, the day to day process is more of putting out fires. Shit pops up, you have to fix that problem and then you move on to the next thing. Yeah. The reality is if you are good about systemizing processes or creating checklists, instead of constantly putting out fires all day long, you can focus on the things that you actually do best and then let the checklist or the following of the checklist handle all that tedious bullshit that you either don't want to do or that you tend to forget things on. There's just so many benefits to keeping your sanity related to this. Yeah, honestly, like I'm a mastering engineer and I don't plan on being a producer anytime soon again. But if I were, there's no way I could remotely imagine myself being even somewhat successful without a checklist. Even for a limited amount of time, I don't see myself ever being able to be smart enough to remember all the things that you have to get right for a session to go well. Yep. And this is something that you and I have both encountered, especially you when it came to your mastering studio. 
as things started to ramp up, it became more and more important that you created systems yeah. uh, around your business. And we're going to get into that in a second. But I think one of the big parts is we talked about automation in your episode, episode three, Chris Graham's interview that I did with him about his background and his business. But I think a lot of the automation that Chris created was basically a checklist. Yes, 100%. It was all the steps in a process. And then he moved on to creating automation. So we're getting, kind of giving ahead of ourselves here. So let's talk about now, how do you determine what you need to systemize? When I use systemize here, I'm just talking about thinking about a process from start to finish. And then what are all the steps that need to be done to get from A to Z? So how do you determine what should be systemized, Chris? What are some of the things you look at? And then I'll kind of tell you what I look at. Yeah, well, for me, the first thing is doing the project in my mind with my imagination is I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down. It's very difficult for me to create a system or a checklist or, or anything like that in real time. Yeah. So for me, I think the important thing is to sit down with a piece of paper or a Google Doc or something and to imagine I'm working and to go through the steps I would need to go through to do the project. And then from there, I start to see, I always do this one thing, but it, I never entered it in the checklist. I should put that in. And then the next time I actually do a project, having that checklist next to me, inevitably I realize, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff I left out of this or I put this in the wrong order or I didn't explain this well. Like it's just mind blowing how bad I am <laughs> at this yeah, and how important it's been every time I've had the discipline, which certainly isn't daily, to sit down and try to systemize something. There's one more piece to this. And I think for many of us listening, we're going to have a small group of people listening to this episode that are going to be like, systems, that's not rock and roll. That's not art. That's not going to make you, you know, like have a magic moment where people get goosebumps and start crying and buy your records. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. And here is why. Great art is about flow state. Flow state is about not having to sweat the small stuff. It's about getting in a spot where you're just making art and you're not worrying about hard drive space or you're not worrying about a guitar string breaking etc, etc, etc. It's about getting in a spot where you're free to create. And the point of these systems is to free you to get into that tippity-top, most creative, most artistic mode, the flow state. All right. So kind of going off of what you said there, back in April, I asked one of my friends in a text, uh, his name is Seth Mosley, and he's a, a big CCM producer, and he actually is moving big into country now as well. He's got dozens of number one singles on the radio he is highly successful. He has a full-time team around him of like seven or eight people. And I asked him, and I quote, quick question. Do you follow a set routine or any sort of general system when doing creative tasks like songwriting? Or do you feel like routines and systems limit your creativity? And this is a guy who is one of the most successful people I know in this sort of space. One of the most creative guys I know. But he said, and this is his text back, I am 100% routine and systems oriented. Deadlines and boundaries are the best thing for a creative process. And I think when we start talking about systemizing, this is 100% going to up your game, if anything, when it comes to creativity. I'm encouraged by that quote from Seth Mosley. That's cool. Yep. So one of the ways that I think is the easiest way to start this process is to sit down and just think through your day. On a day-to-day -day basis, what are the things you do, whether it's when you first get a band in the studio or just the average day, whatever that looks like, if you're a mastering engineer or a mixing engineer, or if you're a producer, what does it look like when you sit down with an artist for the first time, or if you're a songwriter, or you can look at each of these things differently. This is what I like to tell people is do a brain dump. Do a brain dump 
of all of these different scenarios that you put yourself into and try to prioritize them on either how important they are or how often you do them because it's going to take a while to do all of these. So I like to prioritize the, the most important, the lowest hanging fruit first. And so brain dump your entire day or what an average project would look like from start to finish. And then that's really going to help create an outline for you to then start creating checklists for. And so if your brain doesn't work this way, next time you sit down at your computer to work, just think through the process you're about to do and start creating a checklist for that process or for what you're about to do for your day or for the next hour. So yeah, one of the other things that you need to consider when you're trying to figure out what to systemize, what to put in the checklist is you need to think about single points of failure. There are single things where if it's not done right or it wasn't set up ahead of time, then the whole session's ruined. Just for the record, episode 38 of the podcast is where we really go deep into the single points of failure. Yeah, so this checklist, I've got an example here. These are primarily you're recording a band or you're recording an artist. Bands are really important to have a checklist for because you have a lot of moving pieces yep, and a lot of moving egos and a lot can go wrong. So let me first of all say, I'm completely unqualified to share this list with you guys because I'm a mastering engineer. I haven't produced in over a decade. But as a mastering engineer, often my role is the producer calls me and laments the struggles he or she went through with the client. And I say, yeah, you were right. The client was wrong. (laughs) That's a pretty big part of my gig. So let's say a band's coming to record with you. And rather than just jump right in and start setting up mics, you sit down with the band and you pull out a really official looking clipboard with a pencil tied to it with a piece of string. So you sit down and like, all right, we need to go through our pre-production checklist or pre-recording checklist or whatever you want to call it. And you make it clear to the band, like, this is, this is for real. And all right, guys, put your phones away. We need to go through this checklist to make sure that we make kick-ass art today. And this is just some ideas of things that could totally ruin your session if you don't have them set up. Number one, drum heads. In some styles of music, new drum heads are the way to go and old drum heads just sound terrible. And by the way, I want to preface this. A lot of these are going to be basic duh type things, but I shit you you not. Like a lot of these things are easily forgotten. Yeah. Now I will say I probably wouldn't forget to put drum heads onto a drum set, but I will definitely forget to either talk to the drummer about it or I'll forget to purchase some before the session. So you need to look at the process in stages. So some of this checklist might be before the band gets in. Some might be during the band. Some might be after the band. So a lot of this is going through the proper checklist at the proper time. So continue on with that little caveat. Yeah. So the next thing, I'm a guitar player. For 99% of the music I like, new guitar strings are a must. Not the case in all genres, but in many, you got to have new guitar strings. I've never heard of a genre you don't need new strings, but (laughs) (laughs) whatever. There's some. So the next one is instrument setup. I remember back in the day, I I would get a client in, we'd be recording the session and they would go to play a chord and it just wasn't in tune. Their instrument wasn't set up to the right intonation or the piano was out of tune. All these things are super duper ridiculously important. And to stop a session and deal with instrument setup is a buzzkill. Yep. The one Brian mentioned previously, hard drive space. So you're sitting with the band, you're going down, hey, do we have new drum heads? Yep, check. Do we have new guitar strings? Oh, except for that guitar. All right, Joey, why don't you get that guitar? Why don't you start putting strings on when we go through the rest of the checklist? Cool. All right, instrument setup. All right, go ahead and, you know, whatever. Yeah, okay, uh, everything's in tune. Hard drive space. Let me check that. 
yep, we're good to go. I've got 100 gigs left. Um, phone's off. Oh, Joey, you're on your phone right now. Could you please turn your phone off? Joey, Joey, turn your phone off. <laughs> uh, so the next issue here is mood and vibe. If you have super bright fluorescent lights in your studio, that's probably not great. You probably want to do something to emotionally help people perform. And I think it should be on the checklist, whether that's light candles or light incense or dim the lights, whatever. Mood and vibe, very important. Next one, food and water. How many of you have been in a session and suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, like half the band is literally starving to death and it's affecting the performance or there's nothing to drink. Yeah, it's one thing I see that's consistent across most engineers I know when they're sitting in a dark control room day in, day out, they do not drink enough water. Yeah. And you can survive on a little bit of water, right? But it's not ideal for your body. So having plenty of water is going to improve your health. And I think that is one of the things that if you put on a checklist, you make sure you have four or five bottles of water for yourself in the session that day. It's going to improve things long term. <laughs> it's such a small thing. It is such a small thing. No famous producer has ever said, well, the secret to my success is dehydration. <laughs> so the next thing, and oh my gosh, this one's huge. And a big part of my gig as a mastering engineer is sitting down with the band, looking them in the eye, making sure you have their full attention and saying, you have not scheduled your release date already, right? And you won't schedule your release date until you talk to me because the thing you're releasing is the thing I have to make and I have to have time to make it. That is an important item on your checklist because if it's not, you will have an artist or a band where you're going to be on Facebook or Twitter and you're going to be about 10% done with their mixes or their masters or whatever. And you're going to see a tweet of, we're releasing our music tonight at midnight. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. Wait, what? Oh my God. I haven't finished it yet. And this is one of those things that is just a miscommunication. Yeah. It's a miscommunication and this can damage relationships for no fault of your own, but it is up to you as the producer or engineer or mixing or mastering, whatever, to communicate this sort of stuff with your artist. And what better place to do it than in a checklist right before you start the session? Bingo. Next similar issue, band and artist schedule. There's nothing worse than, all right, oh man, that song was great. Let's do the next song. Joey, you ready to go? Where's Joey? Oh, he had to go uh, walk his dog. Wait, what? Who's going to play the drums on this next song? Oh, Joey will. He'll be back in like two hours. <sighs> that was an interesting <laughs> noise. <laughs> that was a very interesting noise. You hit your desk and your mic rings out. The boom stand sympathetically resonated. So figuring out the band and artist schedule. Hey, when are you available to another one? And I see this one all the time is, you know, I'll be in a mastering session and the cymbals will be too bright in the drums. And it's difficult to get the drums to sound balanced and to get some air in the drums without getting the cymbals too harsh. So a lot of people use specific cymbals for the studio that are different than what they would use in a concert. In a concert, you want it to cut, you want it to be really loud. So you use bright symbols in the studio. That's not always a good idea and is sometimes a terrible idea. So having the right symbols is a good thing to check for because that's, you can't fix that and post very easily. Another issue is just general technical single points of failure. Do you have any backup microphone cables? Because they break maybe vacuum tubes, depending on the type of gear you have or the type of amps the band uses. And then here's three that I think are really important to have on your checklist. You need to clarify with the band that you must approve all masters before they release them. 
There's a good reason for that. Sometimes you'll have the drummer decided to master himself. <laughs> or, oh man, I'll never forget I had a project. This was a little bit of a nightmare project, but I saw the Facebook post. We're releasing on Sunday and it was like Thursday and I'm working on his finishing his record and I was not close. I was maybe needed a month and he gave me a couple days, not including mastering. And then I sent it to him and then he sent it to a mastering engineer who absolutely ruined the record. It was to this day, the worst master I have ever heard. And it was a real bummer. Um, he went ahead and released the masters that if we'd have just normalized the mixes and released them, it would have been a better release. <laughs> so making sure that the band knows, hey, let me hear the masters before you release them. And again, this is just all part of communication. This is just putting systems and checklists around communicating specific things at specific times with your artist. Absolutely. Next issue. Let me see your videos before you release them. This might be a little bit intense, but I've heard many times stories about the band released a mono unmastered mix. Yeah. Oh my God. That's happened to me many times. Yeah. On the video. And it's like, oh my gosh, I look like a tool because this mix sounds absolutely horrendous. It's usually the videographer that bounces it down in mono for whatever reason. Yeah. So if the band tells every single person they know to check out the video with your work on it and it sounds terrible, that's not good for business. Nope. So you want to have some control there. And this one is less important, but telling the band, I want to see your artwork before you release it. I'll never forget. I had a project. This is like 15 or 20 years ago. And I got the CD back from the artist and it was the weirdest, most goofy picture I have to this day ever seen on an album cover. And it was just like, oh man, I'm embarrassed that my name is on this. No one will buy this based on judging a book by its cover. Cool. All right. So there's a couple more we'll run through. Um, getting paid before delivering releasable mixes or masters. If that's your thing, and I recommend it is. Yep. We've talked about this before in the past. Yeah. Next thing. Drug policy. Make sure you discuss this with your artist. So another communication thing. Yes. So, man, I'll never forget, like this is a long time ago, back when marijuana was a lot less socially acceptable, but I'm just like working with a client and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what are you doing? You're, why are you, you're smoking weed at my house? Oh boy. Um, I hope the cops don't come because they'll take all my gear. So that's a big thing. Another, having a good policy to talk about before the session starts is talking in the control room during tracking, mixing, or editing. If you've got really chatty band members, it can make it really hard to do your job if they're with you while you're doing it. Another one is guest policy. If the band brought, you know, 15 of their friends and they're all like partying while you're trying to edit vocal comps and stuff, like that's no fun. It's so much easier to say at the beginning of the session during checklist time, hey, we have a no guest policy, so don't bring anyone unless you've cleared it with me first, as opposed to, Hey, could you ask them to leave? That's awkward. <laughs> that was me back in the day though. Yeah, that's going to kill the vibe. I would say probably, and this is something I struggle with. I think probably the, one of the most important things you can do is define the end time before you start. It's really, really, really easy, especially in a recording studio situation to accidentally record for 18 hours straight. I don't think that's good for the art. I don't think it's good for the artist. And I don't think it's good for sanity. So I think establishing an end time at the beginning is essential. And that, I think that's part of the checklist of, hey, we're going to end at four today, right? Okay, let's record. Yeah, so I think 
just to kind of wrap all of this like example checklist up, a lot of this was just making sure you have the right stuff at the right time, making sure you're prepped and ready for the session, and then communicating with the artist. And so when we start going into this next section, talking about how we structure this checklist, the checklist that Chris just went over just now, the one that he just uses as an example for this episode, is something that would actually probably be split into several checklists that are approached at several different times. So one of the things they talk about in the Checklist Manifesto book is making sure that when a certain trigger point happens, before you do the thing, you go through the checklist or you you have a, a pre-surgery checklist, a during surgery checklist, a post-surgery checklist, and that 100% translates to a session or a mix or a master or a songwriting session or whatever it is you're doing. It's all about structuring the checklist into segments based on what you're doing. So one thing that I want to talk about real quick is internal versus external checklists. And depending on what sort of checklist you have is going to completely dictate what sort of thing you're going to put on the checklist. If it's internal, you can just do it basically what we just did there, which is a bullet pointed checklist of things that only I'm going to be referring to. It could be on your clipboard. You could just have thing one, thing two, thing three. And that's extremely powerful. But the next level of this, and I think one of the biggest benefits of creating checklists here is outsourcing work to people. And whenever you create an external checklist, something that someone else is going to be following, it's a completely different story. So when a board of doctors gets together, whoever the hell creates these you know, pre-surgery checklists or whoever creates all of these pre-flight checklists for these airlines, you damn well are sure that it is a detailed 100% all of the things they need to know in there that they can still follow it even if they, you know, are having a foggy day, their brain isn't quite sure what they're doing that day, or it's a new guy and they're still trying to figure this out. So if you're creating a checklist for someone else, it needs to be a lot more detailed than an internal checklist. Well, yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity, especially if you're planning on outsourcing these things for these types of checklists. One of the things that immediately came to my mind is miking up a drum set. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But it's not hard to teach someone how to do 80% of the job. And then you make some micro adjustments to say, hey, make sure we're using these mics on overheads. Here's a yardstick. Make sure they're three feet from center. Da, 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 da. And then you go in and make some small changes. And I think this is really the big power in this sort of stuff is it allows you to focus on what matters in your business or what you're really good at. Yes. So if you're great at choosing the right mics and you understand the process of what it means to tune a drum set well and to put the mics in the right position, you can create a checklist for where to put the mics in different situations and pass that off to your assistant and get 80% of the way there. And then all you're doing is quality control. You're, you're focused on making sure it's exactly how you want it after the fact, but you're not doing all the tedious bullshit to get to that point. So there's a million ways this can shake out and it's really going to be up to you as the entrepreneur here to determine what it is to create a checklist for and what way you're going to use it. But at the end of the day, if you go to the outsourcing route where you're freeing up your time, that is one of the most powerful things you could ever do for your business. Because I heard this quote the other day, it's, if you always do minimum wage work, then the most you can hope to ever get paid is minimum wage. And the quote just basically means like, if you refuse to give up that low value work in your business, you're completely stifling your potential earnings as a producer or a mixing engineer or as a mastering engineer. And I think creating really, really well done checklists not only helps you save your own sanity and keep things consistent, it also helps free up some of your time to work on bigger and better things in your business. And how many of us could work with more of that? Yeah. Not only that is when you make a checklist, you outsource it from your own mind to a piece of paper. Yeah. And when you do that, your IQ goes up. By the time it's time to start recording you've got all the mindless stuff checked off 
one, you don't have fires to put out during or after the session. And two, you didn't use up any of your mental capacity trying to remember if you got everything done and going around and making sure everything felt right before the session started. As a result, you can be more creative during the session. You can use your social skills during the session. For me, when I go full nerd mode and I'm like, oh, I got to have the technical stuff just right. Oh, let me plug, get out of my way, blah, blah, blah. Like when I go full technical nerd. You turn into a weird hermit. Yes, I turn into a weird hermit. And your social skills go out the door. Yes, that guy's no fun to work with. So the checklists are great because you get real Chris Graham, who's pretty nice if he's not been irritated by having to manage a complicated system. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I really hope that you sit down today and start thinking through the things that you can create checklists for, especially if you're going to end up outsourcing that. Now, the checklist that Chris gave, this is more of a checklist for like a general session or how you might run things. But I wanted to give you an example of a checklist that I created to actually outsource something to my assistant, all of my mix prep. This checklist is a detailed instructional type checklist, one that I can just pass off to literally anyone that understands Pro Tools and they could do my mix prep for me the way I do it. And so it's a very powerful thing. It took me like six hours to create. It saves me like hundreds of hours a year. And so if you want to get that checklist, it's on the show notes page. There's no opt-in or anything required. Just go to the show notes page and it'll be, a link will be there for you to check it out. So you can just go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 40. That's slash four zero. I can't believe we're on the 40th episode already. And that checklist will be on there along with all the other show notes from this episode. Whoa.